It is so good to see everyone here this morning, so thankful you've chosen to be with us. If you're a grandparent, we're glad that you're here. If you're not a grandparent, just want to be one day, then we are glad you're here as well. So thankful that you've chosen to be with us here at Midway today. A number of years ago, I read a story about a woman who left her home with her immediate family, her husband and her two sons, and they went to a foreign country to work. They lived in that foreign country for somewhere around 10 years, and during that 10-year span of time, the husband passed away. The young men grew up, and they themselves married, but they too died. And so this woman who had moved away from her home, away from her own family, with her immediate family, her husband and her sons, she is now left all alone. This woman who is left all alone, how do you think she might feel? If you were to put yourself in her shoes, how do you think she might be at that particular time in her life? Do you think she may have something that uh, she would be thinking about as being grief-stricken and sad? Some of you have experienced the loss of a spouse, and you know that there is grief that is there. You know the sadness that comes with it. You know, when you think about our lives as well, and this particular woman, she's in a foreign country, do you think she might feel somewhat lonely? No one is there that she has grown up with. No one of her childhood friends were there. None of her other family members were there. Do you think she may have felt some of that great loneliness? And not only do you think about that, do you think she may have been homesick as well? When you think about this woman being in a foreign country, you know, you, she probably would have wanted to be back where she came from. And, and add to that, do you think she might have been somewhat bitter, filled with despair? Do you think it's possible that she could have had these things in her life? I suspect that some who have been in her shoes, or at least close to her shoes, may think that these kinds of things would be normal reactions. But I want to ask you this morning as well, can you think of anything that might cheer her up, that might bring her out of her uh, uh, present uh, uh, forlornness and, and bring her back to happiness, to take her from a, an unpleasant state to being one who is back in a pleasant state again? Can you think of anything that it might be? Somebody says, well, maybe she could develop a good relationship with her former daughters-in-law. But what if they moved on with their life? They're still young women. And if they decided to move on, who would she be to hold them back? Or maybe as we think about her, maybe it could be that she could go home, just move back to where she came from. But unfortunately in the story we find that it wasn't until she moved home that we know her true feelings of how bitter she really and truly was. Is there anything else that might be able to bring her out of her despair, out of her bitterness? And I think the answer to that is yes. When we think about it, we might ask the question, could a grandchild do that? Could a grandchild be something that would bring out a woman or a man out of the despair that they might have in their life? When we... When we think about it, I think that is true. What about a grandchild? 
Grandchildren truly are grand, are they not? And for those of us who have been there, isn't it grand to be a grandparent? And for grandchildren, isn't it grand to be a grandchild? Now you know the story that I've been talking about is found in the Word of God. You you probably already have figured it out that I read the book of Ruth. And when I think about the book of Ruth, I think about a story that's not about Ruth. And you may not have thought about this, but the story, the book of Ruth, is not so much about Ruth as it is about Naomi. As you fill out your blank, the screen for some reason is not working up there. But as we go, have you ever considered that Naomi is the center of the book of Ruth? She is the one that it's really all about. She's the one who goes to Moab with her husband Elimelech and her sons Malin or Malin and Kilian. Elimelech dies, Malin and Kilian die. Ruth and Obed, uh, or rather Ruth and uh, Orpah, I get the right name out there, not Oprah, but Orpah. They are her daughters-in-law. Orpah goes back to her family. Ruth decides to go home, back home with Naomi. And yet, when we come to Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, we find that when they get back to Bethlehem, that the women say, Is this Naomi? You know, they're glad to see her. But she said, Don't call me Naomi anymore. The word Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi anymore, but call me Mara. Why? Well, the Bible goes on and says, Call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. And here's the reason for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She said, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so as we look at her, she is indeed filled with bitterness. She has bitterness in her life. But if you go from chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, to chapter number 4 in the book of Ruth, when you come to the end of the book of Ruth, we find Naomi as the center of attention again. And because of the kinsman redeemer, because of the way the laws were at that time, that daughter-in-law, former daughter-in-law that had come back with her, uh, marries the kinsman redeemer, one of the family members, in order to, to keep everything in that family going as God had directed. We don't have time in our lesson today to deal with the law of leverant marriage and all of those kinds of things, but that's exactly what happened. And so when we come to Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, Luke read to us this morning. Luke read about how Ruth and Boaz had married. They had a child, and they brought that child, Obed, and they placed Obed on Naomi's lap. And it seems that there is this great change that takes place in Naomi at that time. And that's what we want to think about today. It's grand to have grandparents. It's grand to have grandchildren. As we do and think about that this morning, I want us to make some observations. I want us to think about the grandparent-grandchild thing and how that it's grand because of the interdependence, that's a long word, but the interdependence that's involved in that relationship or those relationships. When we talk about interdependence, what we're talking about is the state of being dependent upon one another. In other words, 
uh, there's benefit to both, is there not? Grandparents, you know, they are happy. They can show you their grandchild and what their grandchild has done. And when, when grandchildren want something that they can't get from mom and daddy, who do they go to? Well, they go to grandmother and grandpa, and they, they try to get them to, to, you know, get mama and daddy to relent, or at least for them to do whatever it is they want done. And we all understand those kinds of things. But there's that interdependence. I was blessed to know three of my four grandparents. One of them passed away. My, my grandfather on my mother's uh, side passed away long before I was born. But I was blessed to know three out of four. And there was interdependence between us and uh, me and them. And, and the same is true with you. But notice, if you will, in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, the interdependence that is there. In that passage, these women, as they're talking to Naomi, who is now happy, says about the child who has been born that he shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher in your old age. And notice again in that passage, if you continue reading down in verse number 16, when they brought Obed and put him on, on Naomi's lap, she, the Bible says, became his nurse. Let's talk about those three things together for just a minute this morning. As we think about it, Naomi became a nurse for Obed. Now, a lot of times when we think of nurses, we think about those people who work in hospitals. But that's not what Naomi was. She's not taking care of him because he's a sick child. Uh, there's something different. When we think about someone who nurses a baby, sometimes we think about one who's providing milk or providing food for the baby. And here again, that's not what Naomi is doing for her grandson. And so what then is Naomi to Obed? When the Bible says that she became his nurse, what does the Bible mean? Well, 38 times in the Bible, the word that's translated nurse here is translated by the word believe or believes. Another 22 times, it's translated faith or faithful. Ten more times in the Old Testament, it's translated by trust, trusted, or trustworthy. And only three times in the Old Testament is that word translated nurse. Now, now what do we learn from that? Well, it seems to indicate that what she did was take care of this child. She took care of Obed. She became one that he could believe in. She became one that he could trust to be there for him. That seems to be what the Word indicates to us. Quite likely, Naomi was not just teaching him that he could believe in her, but that he could also believe in her God. Do you remember the promise that Ruth had made when she came back with Naomi to Bethlehem? Uh, sometimes we use what is said that Ruth says to Naomi, we use that in weddings. That wherever you go, I'll go. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Well, that wasn't said between a husband and a wife. That was said between a former daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. But the fact is that Naomi had God 
on her mind. And now she could be happy because she had this grandchild. And she became the nurse. She became the one that he could depend upon. And I'm sure she also taught him that he could depend on her God as well. But let's think about this interdependence again. Not only did she become his nurse, the Bible says that Obed would be something for her. That he would be a restorer of life. A restorer of life. You see, Naomi needed someone to restore her joy, didn't she? Wasn't she bitter? Wasn't she in despair and lonely and all of those things? Well, surely she was. But she needed someone to restore her life. But not only did she need someone to restore the joy of her life, she needed someone to carry on the family name as well. When we think about Job, we remember that he lost his ten children. And one of the men who came to visit him, a man by the name of Bildad the Shuhite, he made this statement about Job. He said he has no posterity or progeny among his people and no survivor where he used to live. He had no one to carry on the name of Mr. Job until God blessed him again. It was somewhat of a curse or looked upon that way under the Old Testament for one not to have um, those to carry on the family name. As a matter of fact, that was something that was wished upon a person who was wicked. For in Psalm 109, verse number 13, the Bible says, May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. We don't want someone to carry on wickedness in that way. What a heritage, though, proceeded from this grandson. Uh, You heard Luke as he read the end of the book of Ruth this morning, how that uh, Ruth had the son Obed, Boaz was the father, and how Obed had a son by the name, not uh, uh, by, by the name, according to the passage there, uh, that that we might not recognize, except that he was the father of another man. Obed had a son by the name of Jesse, and Jesse had a son by the name of David, who would become king. But you know, it wasn't just that he became king in the land. When we turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, at verse number 1, the Bible says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then notice those next words. The son of David. If you go on down to verse number 5 of Matthew chapter 1, we have the lineage that's there. Boaz begat Obed, Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And so, indeed, Obed became a restorer of life. He became a restorer of the joy that Naomi would have. He not only became that, but he became the restorer of the family name to carry it on. But through him would be the one who would give life eternal to all. He was a restorer of life. But then not only that, Obed was a, to be a nourisher. According to what the Bible tells us there, Obed was to be a nourisher, a nourisher to Naomi in her old age, according to verse number 15. The word just means to provide for, to supply, to sustain. It's used in the Old Testament. One place it's used is Genesis 47 at verse number 12, where the Bible says that Joseph, 
Remember, he went down into Egypt and uh, interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, and he was the one who saved the lives of people because they had put away plenty during the years of, of much. The Bible says in, in Genesis 47 at verse 12 that Joseph provided for his father and his brothers. By the same token, in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 21, 40 years you sustained, the way it's translated there, you sustained them in the wilderness. Their clothes didn't wear out, their feet didn't swell. God sustained, He took care of Israel. And that's what the Bible says about Obed, that he would be for Naomi in her old age. He would be there to provide for her. There's that interdependence that we mentioned at the beginning here of this point. You know, that is to be true throughout all ages. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 8, the church is, to char is charged to take care of those who are widows indeed. But as we read that passage, the Bible says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has, watch this, children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. It's within this same context that Paul goes on and says that if a, if a person won't provide for his own family, he has denied the faith and has become worse than an unbeliever. You see, God charges us, grandchildren, if it be necessary, to help take care of our grandparents in their old age. And so that was what Obed was to be, one of the things that he was to be for Naomi. Somebody says, well, Mark, I, I understand what you're saying, but he wasn't really her grandson, was he? I mean, did not Boaz have his own parents, and, and did not Ruth have her own parents? Well, Ruth's parents were back in the foreign land, and, and I don't know about those who who uh, were the parents of, of Boaz, if they were still alive or anything that was going on with them. But what I do know, that in the story, the point is that he was to carry on that life and that line. And those people in that day would have recognized Obed as being the grandson of Naomi. And they did. And so we have this great relationship that comes forward. But then this morning, not only do we see that, but very quickly, I want us to understand that that grandparent-grandchild relationship is grand because it's proof that God is good. Proof that God is good. You see, Naomi comes full circle, doesn't she? In Ruth 1, verses 20 and 21, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Then we go to chapter 4, verse 14. And we have this, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. Indeed, it is proof, grandchildren are proof that God is good. Have you ever wondered if you'd be able to make it? To make it through life? Well... There are all kinds of tragedies and problems and all kinds of pitfalls in life. And we wonder if we're going to be able to make it through all of them. And then we can look back at grandparents and we can see that they have. 
they've lived through depressions and world wars and the death of children and the death of spouses and divorces and the loss of jobs and tragic loss of homes and you name it. And you know pretty much if you're a grandparent this morning and you're here and you've been around for very long at all, you're probably a survivor as well. And that's what Naomi was. She was a survivor. She had been through the rigors of life. Life had been against her, but now she had survived. And she could show that to others, and she could praise the name of her God. If they can survive, then truly we can survive as well. They've gone through the temptations. They've gone through the struggles. They've gone through the, 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 the possibility of denying their own faith. Yet they're here today. And they've learned that God, and continue to learn, that God will not give them more than they're able to endure. And they are prime examples to all of us. They help us understand what is meant in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. They've been through it. They've endured. And they've showed us that we can as well. Oh, how our generation needs to understand that in our day. But think about something else. The Bible talks about in the book of Job, chapter 12, verse number 12, that wisdom is with the aged men, and with length of days is understanding. Folks, the longer you've lived in life, the, the more you should be able to understand about life. Uh, the more you've had time to learn. And, 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 you know, I read something, and it's, it's sort of funny on the outside, but the saying goes something like this, experience is the comb life gives you after you've lost your hair. Now think about that for a minute. Experience is the comb that life gives you after you have lost your hair. Somebody is bound to be asking, well, what good is the comb if you don't have any hair? Well, the comb is something you can give to somebody who does. You can pass it along. What good is experience after you've lived your life? Well, experience is good for passing down to the next generation, is it not? To pass it down to your own grandchildren and others. And that's what the wise grandparent does. In their relationship, they pass it down to their grandchildren. They teach their grandchildren what David wrote in Psalm 86 at verse number 5. He said, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. You know, for those of us who are those of you who haven't reached grandparenthood yet, you probably need to listen to your grandparents because they probably have something to offer you, uh, some advice to give to you that will keep you out of a lot of problems and troubles in life. And so as we look at it this morning, we look back at, at Naomi. We look back at the story that's found in the book of Ruth. And we know that one of the things that that grandchild-grandparent relationship says 
is that God is good. As we bring our lesson to a close this morning, according to reports, there are now more than 72 million grandparents living in the United States. That's about 24% more than there were back in 2001. 72 million. Of all the adults who are 30 years old and older, one in three were grandparents in 2014, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Isn't it grand to be a grandparent? To look and to see the grandchildren. Somebody said, never has there been a cowboy who could pull a gun faster than a grandparent pulls out a grandchild's picture. <laughs> but you know what? This grandparent-grandchild thing is a two-way street. There is that level of interdependence that every good and honest grandparent knows and should be teaching their grandchildren that God is good and worthy to be obeyed and worthy to be praised. And you know what? It does no good for them to teach that if those of us who are grandchildren don't listen. And so we need to open our ears and we need to be willing to listen to them, to gain from them, from their experience, from their knowledge. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never become obedient to that good and great God. Would you pray?